So you have a relationship with Federal to where you've met Eric Carlson through some contacts and Eric calls you in instances like this year when they needed to do some product testing for the new Black Cloud that they're launching for the fall of 18. They say, hey, we'd like to bring a group up and we're going to bring a bunch of this new ammo and we need to rip through some snow geese. You get that phone call and do you automatically say yes or do you have to, do you, have to you know, really look at what's going on with the reverse migration? Because they couldn't go until, I think it was what, third week of April when we were up there? It's April 20th. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's a stress, but I got to do it. They're federal, so I make it happen. And what what's that kind of, usually, uh, relatively speaking, that time of the year, to me, that sounds way late, but is it consistent, consistently to where you're seeing large groups of snow geese that late into the spring, um, you know, coming back up north to their breeding grounds? It's usually April 10th, 20th. It slims down, and then you get the, the younger birds to come up because they have no breeding, sex drive, none of that. So they kind of, the adults will leave them behind, and the hunting is a lot better, but it's tough. I mean, it is tough. And the when you're saying that the let me get this right. When the end of the spring starts to come and that, that, that adult snow goose starts to fill it in his ears, his sexual innuendo or whatever you say it is, his sex drive kicks in. He knows that it's time to go north because he's thinking about breeding. So the adults will leave first. The juveniles that aren't into that breeding phase of their life yet, one years old, some, sometimes two years old, they, they don't need to leave as fast because they're not worried about getting up there and finding a mate and breeding. So that time of the year, are you catching the tail end of the juvies in, that late in April or are most of them already by you usually by that time? It's middle, middle to end. And then the end is the best. I mean, you can find 2,000 birds and have a two, 300 bird shoot. I mean, like you saw, I mean, it's, it's good. How, how, much does, how much does snow geese jump around as far as the food source goes there? If you pinpoint them and they're in a field one day, can you pretty much guarantee they're going to be in that field the next day? Because usually the, you know, the, the thing about snow geese is that they feed out so fast out of a field. That's why Canada geese or, you know, some of those other species don't really get into mixing with snow geese because they, the, they're just really aggressive. They root up the, a bunch of the ground. That's why that we've put this depredation season in place in the, uh, to get rid of some of them because they cause so much havoc on the breeding grounds, on the feeding grounds, on farms, on cropland. So, is it kind of hard to scout snow geese in canada yeah not not the dakotas because it's corn they'll go to a cornfield and it'll take them four or five days to feed it out where a, a wheat field if you watch them in a wheat field they're just moving they're just they're booking it across the wheat field and they'll feed that out within two days so why does why does corn take so much longer just because there's so much more so, food in it so much on the ground because the kernels are falling off of yeah. the on the uh, from the cobs and they're just picking through it so they really don't need to root up anything like they're known for doing like mm. grasses and weed and stuff mm. they're just picking up the excess kernels that are falling off the ground or the combine mist yep so when you're when you're scouting for them and you find four thousand geese in a cornfield in April in North Dakota, you can pretty much guarantee they're going to come back that way, or at least put out a big enough spread to where you might be running traffic. But if you are on the X, they they're they're probably going to go back to that cornfield. Yep. So they are kind of like Canada geese in a way. Oh yeah, they pattern snow geese. I I think snow geese pattern a lot better than Canada geese. Why? In the fall because it's point A point B. That's a snow goose unless you mess it up somebody hunts it then yeah but canada geese in north dakota in the fall will jump field to field to field really so what what well talking about the spring why are isn't is it tougher in the spring to get to pinpoint and, and peg a snow goose flock nah it's you just got to watch them scouting i mean 
if any anybody ditch shooting is the worst people when they're going to a field field and they're coming off the field and somebody's shooting at them in the ditch well that field's wrecked i mean it's just there's you got to watch there's a lot of variables out there people jump shooting them pushing them around so how there's just really no way to control that obviously so as an outfitter in that time of the year and you got a big group like federal premium coming up um you're you're under some pressure and some stress because you want to perform because it is federal premium. They're a very iconic brand in the hunting industry. They're, they're in, in trusting in you to test this new product that they're going to launch to the public. And you, you are going to have, you know, some, some big shoes there, right? Because you got to get them enough shots to make sure that their product works. If they come in there and they've spent all this time engineering and developing and designing this product, they got it all ready to go. They get the migration X outfitters. Chris meets them, says, Hey, we got a field. You go there the next day. You're, you're, fingers are crossed that things work out because they've only got so much time they got two or three days when we were there to test this ammo shoot as many rounds through the benelli's as they possibly could kill as many snow geese and see the devastation that occurs with this new ammo this new black cloud the kill results the harvest results the less cripples i mean it was amazing the results we were getting so are you thinking this has to work out or are you are you being honest with yourself saying it's so late i really have no idea what's getting ready to go down um when, when they called the book like this year i've don't do any hunts a week before and i'm scouting we're scouting watching birds seeing where they're at whether we're going to be in northern south dakota or north dakota i mean it's it's a variable and, and so i'm up front with eric i'm like hey we're either going to be in northern south dakota or north dakota somewhere and he knows that and he just says tell us where to be so he's pretty i mean i know eric carlson a long time and he's pretty understanding and obviously most duck and goose hunters in this in, in this instance would be understanding of, hey, we could be going too late, but because of our schedules, this is when we can go. Um, Chris is going to do as much as he can to put us on the birds. You have an awesome crew that's working. I watched it, you know, unfold the lodge, the crew, the scouting, the decoy spreads. Why that time of the year do you concentrate on more rags than you would a full body spread? Because it's, it's young birds, juvies. You don't need the full bodies. And... At that time of year, we've already been at it for 40 days, so it's don't need to put that much effort into it. So what do you mean you don't have to put that much effort into it? You think that you can just decoy juvies as soon as they see the spread? Do you got to have the right sounds? Do you got to have the right vortexes, the motion, the wind? What do you have to have for juvies? Sound and motion. <clears throat> what kind of motion? Rotary machines. And then the, obviously you're hoping for a wind to make those, mm -hmm. those rags come alive. What kind of sounds? What kind of vocabulary are you trying to reproduce? Where do you get those kind of sounds? Is it a secret to where all these snow goose hunters, you and Alex and Vandemore and Tyson Keller and all you guys have this secret soundtrack that nobody else can get their hands on? And, and you're pretty serious about it. You're picking the speaker up and you're waving it around and pushing it in my ear and pissing me off. And you're really <laughs> annoying, actually, because um, you're, you're, you're trying to have a conversation during a hunt and and you can't hear anything with this annoying snow goose sounds going on is that is that available on itunes or how do you get this done do you have to go out and record your own audio a lot of it's cut paste make your own vanmore has his own tyson has his own and nobody shares them nobody does so you have like this little secret mm -hmm. deal that nobody will ever have so where do you get the first sounds? Do you set up microphones in a snow goose field and actually start and, and start getting um audio going on of geese feeding and stuff are you are you doing that on your own four years ago we did you went and, and, and then you just cut paste take a <clears throat> there's a cd out there called snows down low take some of those tracks over overlay it with some of this and you come the the bark is the biggest thing to me can you emulate that with your mouth 
No. What does it sound kind of like? Snow goose bark. It's real high pitched. Give me one. No, I can't. I can't. Why? I don't even know how to do it. <laughs> You're a snow goose guy. Uh-huh. I, I mean, no, I hunt no. geese and I do that. No, no. You can't do it. No. So you you're telling me that there really is this secret society of snow goose sounds that you guys can you guys go out and you don't share them at all. I remember Tyson Keller when I would hunt snows with him, like he was so stingy and greedy and secretive about his his playlist on his i at that time it was his iPod running on a on, on running the system on all the hunts we did, and he was successful with it. So obviously it does depend on the vocabulary and the audio that you're getting out of them. Yeah. So when when flocks are up high, we hunt a lot of migrators. I'll hit a sound, and you can see their reaction. And as they come down closer and closer, you just kind of lower the volume, switch to a different sound, get them to calm down, and just finish. What do you mean, just finish? Just come down to that, that magic 20, 30. And you're talking 20 or 30 feet or 20 yards. or 30 yards? Yards. So 90 feet is the optimum snow goose to wear. When that flock gets centered up, it's, to me, snow geese aren't that hard to kill. They're, I mean, they're hard to get on and kill. I get the, I'm talking about when the actual killing them with the oh, ammo. Yeah. It yeah. seems like they go down pretty easy. You you clip a wing and they just have no pride. They just fall over and die, right? Yeah. Whereas a Canada is a little bit tougher, a little bit more down, a little bit more fat on them, depending on what variety you're hunting or subspecies of the Canada goose. Um, you get... 30 40 50 100 200 300 snow geese in a pocket you can you can put a put a pretty good dent in a flock in a hurry right that's why those numbers they're just gradually climbing and then all of a sudden you'll go from having 30 dead to 90 dead and you're just like really we got 90 already because you can kill 30 in two flocks and that's you know 30 each flock and that's 60 birds right away right oh yeah it adds up fast when you get them in good and tight and you got six seven guns with 10 shots apiece i mean there's some damage. Now you talk about the 10 shots a piece. That's what is so intriguing about the spring season to me is extended magazines on the Benelli. Some of them hold nine with one in the chamber for a total of 10. Some of them hold more depending on how heavy and top heavy you want to get your gun. Um, there's several times with you, we unloaded the entire magazine, <clears throat> excuse me. And you can't do that anywhere in this country for any other type of of bird migrate migratory birds or upland birds or anything you can't even do it for snows in the fall you can only do it during the spring depredation season which is intended to try to put a dent or take out some snow geese to again protect the breeding grounds protect cropland because they're out of control as far as population numbers go and 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 truthfully quite frankly we don't put a dent in them as snow goose hunters you guys with all the other outfitters all the other guys like vandemore and tyson keller that might concentrate on these this species of geese we're not putting a den in them every spring you could you i don't think you could there's so many of them right no no but the the population the only thing that's going to happen is either mother nature or a disease that's what's going to happen have you ever had a client show up for a spring season hunt and not had an extended magazine on his gun and just being pissed off the whole hunt that his buddies are just <laughs> hammering away? Tell me some stories. I got to get you talking. Uh, <laughs> everybody, this is Chad Belding with another episode of the podcast, This Life Ain't For Everybody. Today, I'm joined by my good buddy, Chris Green from the great state of North Dakota. The town is Fargo. If you guys have seen the movie Fargo, him and his wife, JoLynn, and all of his family talk just like those people, eh? Kind of the south of the border Canadians up there in Fargo. 
Fargo A, but he's a good buddy of mine. He owns and operates Migration X Outfitters, which concentrates on snow geese, Canada geese, mallard ducks, diver ducks, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas. And uh, we got some news today to share with you guys as we get into this podcast a little bit. But uh, he, he joins us in Reno today. We have a dinner for California Waterfowl Association tomorrow night at the Great Lake Tahoe. So we're excited about that. CWA, can't wait to see you guys. Rocky, John, Scott, the entire crew. Today's podcast is brought to you by our friends at Oakley Standard Issue Eyewear, as well as Oakley Apparel, as well as Jack Link's Jerky Again. Jack Link's supplies us our snacks, our protein needed in the blind or during the podcast. So to them and all of our partners and sponsors here and at The Foul Life, we truly appreciate it. Again, it's Chris Green. He's a man of few words, and I'm sitting here just trying to get it out of him because he's got all this knowledge, all of these secrets. He's seen it. He's been there. He's done it, and he's seen it done a million times. And today, we're going to learn what it takes to be an outfitter. We're going to learn what it takes to be a guide, maybe a guide that works for Chris or another outfit across the country. The guide's life is not easy. It's not glorious. It's fun, but it's, uh, you got to be cut from a different type of cloth to want to be a guide. And we're going to get into that in during this podcast so you can understand why. So when you or one of your kids or somebody says, I want to grow up and be a professional duck guide, you might have to talk some sense into them because again, this life ain't for everybody and you got to be a little bit crazy to do that. So Chris Green, Migration X, Outfitters, Prairie Sky Lodge in South Dakota. And the news that we're going to share with you today is going to um, consist of both of those brands. And I'm going to let Chris explain with what's going on with that in a while. But I want to get into a little bit more about this spring season and these extended magazines and these electronic collars. I just got back from Argentina and down there you, there's no extended magazines, but you don't have to have a plug in your gun. You can shoot lead. You can use electronic collars for ducks. So they got these emulated sounds of, of these rosy bill ducks come in. It's kind of like snow geese, a real ugly barking sound. It's real. It's not pretty, but they also have pintail down there and widgeon and these white cheeks and a bunch of different species of teal. And it's a fun hunt, but you're, you're stacking ducks up down there. You know, there's limits of, you know, some people say it's 25. Some people say there's no limits in the spring depredation season in the continental United States for snow geese which usually starts sometime in February in Arkansas, Louisiana, and then travels north on the reverse migration back up, mainly the Mississippi and the central flyways. Um, there's no limit. You're using electronic cars. You're using extended magazines, large decoy spreads, vortex machines. Tell me something. Why does this make your blood get going? Why do you want to absolutely destroy your turkey season, your spring season by chasing these snow geese? <laughs> it's, it's a drive. It's a passion and it's the bird. And people think that, you know, they go out, sure, jump, jump thousands of them, kill them, right? Try decoying them. Once you decoy a snow geese and it's that, just like a duck hunter, just like a Canada goose hunter, when they finish, there's no better feeling. There's no better feeling. But when you can get snow geese and you can fool them after all the time you put in and all the effort and, I mean, 60% of the time it works, 40% of the time it doesn't. And that's what keeps you going and going and going to just get that right there in your face in those big days of right there in your face and you can stack them up you get a you've seen i've seen days in the last couple of years of some guys killing three four five hundred birds even 
It doesn't happen every day. A good day on the prairie for spring snow goose season could be 30 birds to 50 birds. Maybe, you know, that's a good shoot. People start to think because of these big numbers that are being harvested during these spring depredation seasons that I don't want to give somebody the misnomer or the misinterpretation um, that it, like every day they go out or every day you and your crews go out that you just stack up 100, 200 birds. It doesn't happen like that. No. For that to happen, things have to align. The stars got to align. It's got to be blue skies mainly. Stormy days, um, I guess. I'm not very... I'm not a very educated or, or, or experienced snow goose hunter, but I think that bluebird skies with the south wind to keep that migration pushing, um, big decoy spreads with rags mixed in with full bodies, vortex machines, awesome audio with several speakers. I mean, you guys are producing a, a it's, it's unlike any other hunt to where there could be eight to 10 speakers laid out in your spread with wires running everywhere, then batteries out in the field with vortex machines, then all of your decoys, then your blind, which usually consists of painter suits with, you know, all whites with a white beanie on and a white scarf or something around your face or some kind of handkerchief that's of the, of the white variety around your face. <clears throat> and extended magazines and you guys really just hide in between the decoys on these lounge chairs that you would see at a swimming pool kind of area to resort. It is a lot of work. And then you want to do it every day. <laughs> yep. You want to do it every day. So to me, it's got, it's got to be, there had to have been something that happened in your life that said, you know what? I'm going to chase these bastards <laughs> from February until almost May. I'm going to miss all turkey hunting. You're from South Dakota. There are tur There is good turkey on South Dakota, which I knew you just really found out about that, which we'll get into <laughs> later. But what happened to you? What is your brain that messed up that you want to chase these things? <laughs> well, back in 1989, me and my dad took me out for my first hunt, and my family's always been snow goose hunting. That's what my grandpa did, my dad does, and we took me snow goose hunting, and I was hooked. And back then, the limit was five, five per person with no spring season, right? No, spring this is season. just the fall. You could use lead still, it was the late 80s, and from there, it was just every, it was like every weekend we'd go snow goose hunting. My dad and my grandpa wouldn't care about the ducks. No, and you didn't see, back then you didn't see dark geese. They call them blacks. I mean, you didn't see them. There was no, the Canada goose population was none, none of them around. So snow geese, I mean, that's what we mainly hunted. And then, you know, as I grew older and my, me and my buddies would get a couple hundred bucks, buy some rags and. The Texas regs came out. Then it was the quack GNH shells. And then we you know grew from there and then we'd go out and if we shot 20 birds, it was like 20 birds back then was like shooting 300 now. And it's just, it didn't happen. I mean, they're just, they're mostly all adult birds and they're smart. And you, you get the, the addiction early to where you've, would you say right now that snow geese are your favorite waterfowl to pursue? Hands down. By far. Hands down. More than the mallard duck. Uh, you could show me a feed on the right side of the road of 100,000 mallards. Show me 20,000 snow geese. I'm going up for snow geese. See, and there's obviously something wrong with you. Like, we would have a big <laughs> argument on this. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's tough to beat a strong, dry-filled, corn-filled mallard hunt with a blue sky and a, a pretty good wind and some cold temperatures. It is. It is. But it's the limits on the snow geese that make it, you know, ducks, you know, North Dakota, dry-field hunting. Two, three flocks come in for two guys, and you're done. I mean, pack it up and go home. Maybe so now to... you're referring back to the big numbers. The big numbers, yeah. Because hunt, I mean, hunt, hunt lasts longer, and it's just different. It's fun to fool them birds because you think about it, the snow goose gets shot at nine months out of ten months out of its life. They're smart birds. I mean, as like the ducks in 
ducks and Canada geese, they get shot at maybe six, seven, six months. Yeah, I mean, ducks will usually start getting shot out in early September, October, November, December, and January. So really five months if you count, you know, yeah. all the way down from Canada. Because you federally, law, federal law says you have to be done, I believe, by January 28th. To, that's like the federal day that all duck seasons yeah. out the end in some states in way earlier than that mm-hmm. which you know that's dependent on flyaways that's dependent on local law enforcement yeah. and stuff like that or state agencies of law enforcement to their you know local department of wildlife the snow goose so is your favorite thing to do but with migration x you've made a lot of dreams come true with a lot of different hunters on those cornfield dry field mallard hunts canada goose hunts uh you know prairie pothole hunts you're right there in the duck factory i mean being from north dakota and being having that as your backyard that's that's the duck factory that's the grasslands that's the the prairie pothole region of of where a lot of breeding and a lot of ducks in america are born i mean a lot of them are up north in canada and and in the tundra and stuff like that but as far as the breeding area of, of america there's nowhere that's even close to north dakota no the numbers came out this year and i don't I think it was right around three million that they hatched in north dakota that was the population tell me a story real quick give me just paint a picture of me for me of a group that comes in and you say we're going to go on a duck hunt these guys are might be from north carolina a lot yeah. I, I when i know an outfitting when i when i've been involved in it a lot of our clientele came from the Carolinas, Louisiana, um, a lot of Cajun groups because down there, you know, they start so late in the year. In the Carolinas, they really don't really have a lot of ducks. They, you know, they cherish the wood duck and a couple on a creek once in a while. In Louisiana, they have awesome duck hunting, but a lot of those Louisianans like to get out. They're killers. They want to start early, so they go right. to Canada or the Dakotas. Give me a story. Tell me something about these guys show up. They've never been on a dry field mallard hunt, and all of a sudden they're laying in a ground blind with all these full-body geese and, and ducks around them. And then you say, here come the ducks. They're, they're, they just have no idea what's getting ready to happen, right? All right, I got one. So when I first started guiding, so in North Dakota, you have to guide to get your outfitting license. You have to go to the state, take a test, get your guide, pass your guides test. Then I had to guide for an outfitter for three years. Then he signs off on me, and now I'm a legit outfitter licensed. So anyways, I'm, you know, I'm starting guiding up in his Devil's Lake for a, a gentleman. And the first couple groups come in, go out. You know, they're from around there, shot some ducks. Well, I, had a, I had a group come up from Florida. Or no, it was Georgia. It was Georgia, I remember this. And then so we're sitting there. There's four guys from Georgia, two from Missouri. We're sitting there in the morning. The wood ducks buzzed right in, and it wasn't shooting time. And they're looking at me going, why aren't we shooting? I said, we got about three minutes. Okay. So the wood ducks get up, go out. So a flock of, flock of mallards come in, shoot them, we shoot them. Then this widgeon and gabwalls are spinning us, spinning us. They're about 500. They come in and they land. And then I'm sitting there looking, nope, no green heads, you know, because North Dakota, where it's engraved in us, it's green head, pintail, or wood duck. That's what we shoot. Maybe some widgeon late when they're fully plumed, but gadwalls and all that, we don't really, I mean, we don't shoot them. So we're sitting there, and this is what I learned. With clients, we're we're kind of spoiled in North Dakota because we get the exceptional duck hunting we have early. So the clients are all sitting there. These widgeon gadwall are spinning, spinning. They land. The one old man looks over at me and he goes, "Son, why aren't we shooting?" And I said, "Well, there's no green heads or pintails out there." And he goes, "Boy, where I come from, a duck is a duck. Let's shoot him." So that hunt lasted about 45 minutes. We were done. 
So they, they <laughs> done. so they have their intentions are we're here to kill because they don't get oh, that yeah. in Georgia. They don't get, uh, there's an early season goose, Canada goose season in Georgia. And I know a lot of guys down there, you might get on a puddle duck hunt or get lucky. You come a little bit West of there into Alabama. I know that there's some, you know, pretty good puddle duck hunting there, but it's for the most part in the Carolinas. And I might be speaking out of turn a little bit here, but I, I would say for the most part, there's not a lot of solid puddle duck hunting down there. And I know several guys like my buddy Chad Payne that, that, that hunts in Georgia quite a bit. And I know that they're not having what you get in Arkansas or even like Kansas or Oklahoma or Texas or North Dakota, South Dakota. They just don't see that. So when you get into that Mississippi flyway and these groups come up, I, I remember the first time that I hunted dry corn for ducks and I, and I had, you know, I haven't been duck hunting that long in my life as it is right now. I started when I was 27, which is relatively young for getting into duck hunting. I had been on some Canada goose hunts with my uncle and my dad when I was a kid, but I'd really got into duck hunting and introduced to it when, when I was 27 and it just, it took a hold of me and knowing that we do it over water out here. We get into a marsh, you got cattails, you got all these toolies, you get on a toolie seat and you, you, you got your decoys out in front of you and you're, and it's, there's a lot of that going on in some prairie potholes in your area, but that's how we hunt them here. And now with the, with the corn prices and the price of ethanol being up, there are more, being, there's more corn being produced around here. So there is a tiny bit of dry field hunting, but back then there was none. And then I started, you know, traveling a bunch to hunt. Montana had dry corn, Wyoming had dry corn hunts. And then you go into North Dakota, even like Western, Western North Dakota by Bismarck, dry corn over by Devil's Lake and Fargo, dry corn, come down to South Dakota, even Minnesota's got a little bit. Then you got South Dakota, then you got Iowa and you got Nebraska, then you got Kansas and all this corn being produced and just a buffet for these mallards. And when I got on it and I hear that, (laughs) and I had heard that a few times over water on a migratory day. But when you're hunting them and they see those spinners, and you got to have spinners, in my opinion, in dry corn. Oh, yeah. You got to have mojos, no doubt about it. And when you do and you get them on, and 10 ducks, just like in flooded timber, can turn into 400, 500 in a hurry, there was nothing like it for me, Chris. I remember standing in the blind, sitting in the blind, or laying in the lay down blind, as a matter of fact, and having some land and having them all around us and they're making those false runs because they're really not working vertically once they get down there they're working more horizontally and going way out and turning and making false runs and we're calling at them and we think they're listening to us and they are kind of but they're really concentrated on the flash of those spinners um when guys come up and experience that it gets them hooked to the point to where in my opinion if you get groups from louisiana or florida georgia the carolinas alabama and they come up and see that one time they're coming back oh yeah because they're never going to see it where they live. Uh-huh. Ducks down there don't dry feed in the first place. In Arkansas, in the rice fields, it, the, all those rice fields are flooded. You very rarely will ever see a duck. You'll see specks dry feed down there. But you're not going to see a lot of ducks ever dry feed in California or, or Arkansas or Louisiana because of the rice and the flooded rice fields. They're going to go into that wet and get in those clumps and, and eat the rice and have water at the same time. So you as an outfitter got to be like, hey we have something going on here to where it is. It, are you thinking of that when you're first starting migration X that this is a, this is really a delicacy in America of putting people under mallard ducks in dry corn. Did you, did that thought cross your mind when you're starting it? it? It didn't right away. It was mainly snow geese. And then, you know, the market, I started watching it and I'd get calls for ducks, get calls for ducks, ducks, ducks. And finally I'm like, we got to do duck hunts. This is it. I mean, duck hunts, trump snow goose hunts i mean for popularity wise duck hunting is huge i mean that is number one overall my bookings are ducks and i just had a guy call that hunted with me last year up in north dakota 
called me and said, hey, we're coming back up. We need some dates. Sorry it's so late. But that was the best duck hunting I've ever seen in my life. And he's part of Ducks Unlimited down in North Carolina, I think. So, I mean, he's said, you've never seen anything like it. You know, hunting out of A-frame, standing up, shooting mallards at five yards. And A-frames, yeah. how long have you been hunting out of them? It's, that's a new thing. Not a lot of people are doing it yet, but it's catching on. It's basically about the last two years, three years. And what is the advantage of them? It's something different. They're used to the layout blinds. Like snow geese are used to layout blinds. Honkers are used to them. They, they, they're looking for them. You mean as far as you think that ducks are starting to realize that layout blinds are hidden? You think that a layout blind is going to hide less or, or it's going to be harder to hide layout blinds than it is an A-frame? Is that what you're telling me right now? It's different, something different. Like if, if you're driving down the road and there's a pothole and you hit it every time, every time, every time, and then they cover it up and then there's one over there, it's, it's different. It's something different that they haven't seen. And we've noticed a huge success off it. Now, you're not shooting them at 5, 10, 15, 20 yards. You might shoot them at 20, but we usually pace it out to about 25 to 30. You know, Fred Zink does a good demonstration. My closest decoy, my furthest decoy, that's kind of the same thing we do. And it's something different for those birds that they're not used to. They don't see it. So you're telling me in a way that their brain is going never seen it i'm not used to it It, there's no way that somebody's hiding in that because we're just used to flat spots with doors that pop open and they they sit up if they know how to do an ab workout and sit up they can sit (laughs) up and shoot us so you're telling me that the ducks are actually getting the tricks played on their brain with with them out thinking themselves on these a-frames you get three three weeks into the season honkers coming in if you're if them clumps them layout blinds the flare they're gone duck same thing they know they're looking for it snow geese especially I mean, your hide is, you know, and, and hunting waterfall, your hide is everything. Concealment's key, but so how are you going to hide in a snow goose hunt if you're not using layout blinds? You're definitely not using A-frames. No, those. no, no. You just lay in whites. You blend right in. So because of the way that snow goose spreads are with, you know, they, they fade out way down and then snow geese are real greedy, stingy animals and they're always trying to jump ahead of the big feeding clump. So those vortexes behind us or right around us are the active birds that are landing on top of the most active part of the decoy spread, which is the most white. You got white suits on, which is kind of a, what's the stuff called? I can't think of it right Tyvek. now. Tyvex. Tyvex, painting yeah. suits. And you're laying in that, which are almost impossible to get on if you have, you know, zero <laughs> athletic ability. I've, I've seen a lot of dudes like Randy this year. Yeah. I mean, just, <laughs> you know, <laughs> He was so upset, but you're telling me that they're not used to A-frames, so mallard ducks are going to trick themselves into coming in because they really haven't seen that application. Because I know in Canada they've caught on, and we absolutely smoke them in the peas and in the wheat in Canada in October. We're going up there late. Mm -hmm. We're going up there and getting ducks that are coming down the last mallards to leave, you know, northeastern Alberta and, and northwestern Saskatchewan. It works on the geese, too. I've had several great lesser hunts up there out of A-frames. Are you hunting the edge when you're down here in North Dakota? you got to be on the edge, right? Are you hunting the edge? We go right out in the middle of the field. And you put the A-frame out there and just stuff as much corn into it as you can? No, we build a bush. Just make it look like a big bush, and you put them decoys out. And so when the birds are looking at the decoys, there's no objects. There's nothing. It's just decoys. There's nothing in there. And it takes their attention is drawn into the decoys. And so... If you, if, if you walk away from a spread where there's guys sitting in layout blinds and you look at it from back and you see birds coming in, you can see every hunter's head just going like this, moving back and forth. 
And if I can see it from 200 yards away, I'm pretty sure those birds can see it just like that. With thousands or hundreds yeah. or thousands of eyeballs. Yeah, yeah. So you don't make your clients wear face masks? We do and we don't. It's, it's hit or miss. Tell me a client horror story. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that could be an easy one to pull out of yeah. a cookie jar. I've had boot bags shot out. I've had a barrel explode. I've had oh, my dog almost shot numerous times. It's just... Yeah, we go through the safety factor. It's huge. I mean, don't shoot birds in the ground. Guns unsafe, guns in the air type of deal when we're all done hunting. I mean, it's, it's dangerous. If you think about it, what, what I'm doing, what this industry is, is we're taking people out with loaded weapons. You know, I mean, it's, it's dangerous, you know, and a lot of these people will show up, put my gun together, and they ship brand new guns to the lodge, and I got put together and never shot it. I got to show them how to shoot it, you know. That, that throws a red flag. I mean, I mean, there's just stories on stories. I mean, I've had shooting the wrong species, and it's just, uh, yeah. So why do you guide then? I just, I like, I like meeting people from different walks of life. I mean, I like just the PR side of it, and it's fun seeing, putting smiles on their faces. You know, after a really good, successful duck hunt or goose hunt, pheasant hunt or whatever, you come back, the camaraderie, everybody's having a good time. You just meet so many people people from different walks of life. Well, let's get into the guide's life a little bit. First, I want to start off by saying with guiding, the most important thing to me about a guide, and I don't, I'm not talking calling talent, I'm not talking scouting, work ethic, any of that stuff, which we're going to get into, but safety is number one. And it's, you, you have to have a CEO mentality, a leadership mentality to be a good guide. And I think that as an outfitter owner, or if you're thinking about starting your own guide service or outfitting service for it's whether it's fishing and you're in a boat or you're in a, in a raft and you have safety vests and you have float, you know, everything that goes into the safety of being on a body of water to a goose guide, there's nothing more scary or more concerning than a bunch of people in a duck blind with the anticipation and the excitement level with loaded weapons and all that energy going on and inexperience in some of these guys that might be on their first hunt. The most important asset in a guide off, off of my checklist, if I was in the human resources department of Migration X, is that leadership ability to go in there and say, hey guys, here's what we got going on today. Here's where the wind's coming out of. This is what you're going to experience in the panel blind today, the pit blind today, the lay down blinds, um, everything from safeties, clicking on and off, when you're going to click your safety off, where your guns are going to be pointed, shooting your lanes, keeping your actions open when any human being or dog is out in the decoy spread retrieving ducks or the decoy spread is being moved or manipulated to change up during the hunt. Every safety part of that hunt can never be skipped. I don't care if that group's hunted with you before. It's got to be refreshed in their head because you're putting your life in the harm's way if you don't make sure that you hold everybody accountable for their safety and their actions. So am I on to something there to where as far as hiring guides, that's got to be one of the most important things. If somebody that's going to be able to say, hey, if this happens, I'm calling the hunt. Oh, yeah. It's almost like I heard Chael Sonnen on his, on, on your welcome podcast, talking about UFC referees that if they see something illegal happen, like a bad elbow or an illegal elbow or something, they need to call, disqualify that fighter, not say, Oh, he's, you know, he didn't mean to do it. Or I'm gonna give him a chance. That's breaking the rules. Mm -hmm. If the rule says, if you do this, you're disqualified. Then that referee as a leader in that, in that instant instant or that, uh, 
situation has to say, you know what? Fight's over. You yeah. did this. You're not allowed to do that. Go back and learn the rule book and come back and be better next time. Fight's over. Right. Happened to John Jones. It's happened to, it happened on this last fight with Pajoya and, and Eddie Alvarez. So back to guiding, if something happens, the guide has to be able to say, Hey, right. I'm, I'm the leader here. Right. right. No, Tell me about that. Every, every morning, my guides always have a sit down with the clients before they even get out to the field. This is what's going to happen. This is what we're going to do. And then when they get out to the field, they get them all situated. Guns are always unloaded. And it's it's safety, 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 safety. And Dylan, one of my guys, and Evan, they are just on top of it. I mean, they run the show. If a client does something wrong, you're gone. I mean, three, four, five years ago, I can't remember what it was, we had a group of clients out of Texas that knew more than us type of hunters. And, you know, Love those guys. Uh, so we... Um, let's move the spread and i'm like well why do you want to move the spread set perfect well they don't like something this is how we hunt in texas and this is this so we moved that spread i think three times and we made a big nike swoosh with the snow goose spread and the geese it, it's just snow geese are going to decoy or they're not i mean it's just that's the reality of it i mean and they weren't having it that day that wasn't a decoying day and these guys from texas were really upset just planning on shooting a hundred birds or something, which I've never promised. Never, never, never. It's 30 to 50 a day. Anything more is great. Anything less it's hunting. That's my slogan. That's my speech to all my clients. So the guys from Texas show up the next day and it was just no wind. And I told them, I said, you know, we'll be lucky to shoot some birds today. Well, they got all pissed off, packed up their shit and left. The next day was a killing day. I went out to the spread myself after they went on some social media and they said some stuff about me. I'm not even going to get into that. I went out the next morning with the, 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 for their hunt, on their hunt, by myself in the, in the decoy spread, and I shot 49 or 43 myself before 10 o'clock in the morning. And I videoed it and I tagged them and I said, patience, I, I told you. I mean, not every day you're going to kill hundreds and hundreds there's no other there's no outfitter out there that does it yeah and there's a lot of there's going into the guiding business and living that guide's life quote unquote guide's life there is an uncanny stress of of wanting to provide happiness and memories and a great hunt for people mother nature is a huge part of it a guy a guy that has the ability or the financial means to say, Hey, Chris, you got any openings this week? It looks like it's going to be a good, the moon's dark. There's not much of a moon. It looks like it's going to be sunny this week. It's going to be cold this week. It's going to be windy on a couple days. The migration's on. We want to come. That doesn't happen a lot because most guys schedule their hunts way out in advance. They got to get their dates so you don't fill up. They, a lot of guys will book them that day, their last day of that mm -hmm. hunt in. So they're yeah. like, we, we want the same dates next year. Well, you don't know what's going on. They don't look at the farmer's almanac. They don't, there's not a forecast that's 300 65 days out so it's hard to say oh yeah we're gonna what if it's raining every day and it's it's <laughs> it's it's cloudy what if the birds aren't working what if it's warm? i remember uh last season we're in kansas it was 68 degrees at six in the morning setting up on a pond you know i was hoping for ice that time of year it was the first week of december there wasn't any ice the whole pond was over i'm like we're gonna be lucky if we kill them i'm like Are you sure we're gonna hunt here mitch it's a little bit overcast and mitch goes we're gonna kill them and it, it just aired on the foul life last week we smoked them we were decoying huge groups of lessers and because that mentality of just go and see what happens 
sometimes the good things can work out. You never mm-hmm. know what those wild animals are going to do. But as a, as a out, outfitter or a guide, you're like, man, I hope everything aligns today and I can show these guys. <laughs> but if it doesn't happen that day, the best type of clients are guys that understand. And that's the job of the guide. You got to be able to be social. You got to be able to have conversation. You got to be able to look at those guys and say, Hey man, this is, you know, this is what's going on. There's a lot of birds in the air. They got to be knowledgeable of the area, the roosts, what's going on with the forecast. What's the moon doing? What's mother nature doing? Has the migration really pushed in the last two years? The migration has been late. There's been duck hunters in the South that haven't even really got going until the second or third week of December when it's usually on at Thanksgiving. So that guide to me has got to get in there and he's got to be personable and he's got to create conversation. He's got to have his little goodie bag in there, his cooler and his thermos of coffee and his snacks and, and really be able to provide an experience. Cause that's what these guys have to be looking for. Because if it doesn't work out and somebody gets pissed and they're ignorant and they throw a fit like an eight, like a six year old or a three year old, man, the birds aren't flying. It's your fault. You're a shitty guide and you're a terrible outfitter. No. You guys get them. You kill them. That story you just told is a perfect example. Hey, here's 43 by myself, by 10, because you guys left. You're supposed to be here with me. We could have mopped up to 250 today. Mm-hmm. But because they were ignorant and they didn't trust you as the outfitter and their guide of saying, hey, guys, this is what's going on. They're probably looking back on it and go, man, we could have had one of the most epic snow goose hunting days in the world. Oh. And you got you to gotta be able to tell, to be able to have that conversation, be able to show people, hey, I'm a hunter and I've studied this. It's ingrained in me, right? There is a difference between a good guide and a terrible guide. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between an outfitter that's strong and honest and transparent and works his ass off to make sure he's providing that quality experience with lodging and food and preparation and scouting and hunts and gear and safety and dogs and everything that you're supposed to do as an outfitter. And that's what you do. Then there's those outfitters that like to pull the wool over your eyes. I remember going to Pintail Peninsula back in Arkansas back in 2000, 2001. And these guys were like, oh, we're going to get them. They didn't have any leases. They had no flooded timber, which they advertised. We shot like three spoonies one morning. And I'm not, I'm not saying that we got mad, but we're like, wow, this is not weird. We're hunting this little tiny grass pond on the side of this dirt road, which I think we were trespassing looking back on it. And come to find out, they get shut down. They don't have any leases. It was a total smoke show. So to be an outfitter and, and to, to, to be, take that responsibility of saying, I'm going to take somebody's hard-earned money to provide them a hunt. It might be their only hunt of the year. I've had a lot of guys call me, hey, my son's graduating high school or college. I want to take him or my daughter on, the hunt, uh, on a hunt to, show, to celebrate their graduation. These are big deals. Something that you as the outfitter and the guy that grew up in the, his backyard as the breeding grounds or the duck factory, you could take it for granted. You could easily say, man, we got all this at our fingertips mm-hmm. daily. But a lot of people, are, that's the three or four or five days that they're looking forward all year. They've saved up all year mm-hmm. for it. So as an outfitter, you better be damn sure that you're going to have all those pieces put together and that puzzle's going to come together that three or four or five days. And when they leave, another group with the same ideology and thought process is going to do it again. Mm-hmm. So how do you do that? How do you get your guides ready? How do you make sure that you're not going to have this clientele go away and write nasty messages about you on Facebook and have this keyboard muscle about you? You know, it's, it's, I can, I can read people pretty well when they call them book a hunt. And over the past six years, I've been doing it. I've gotten the clientele to where they trust me. They know just the, finally my group that comes from Wisconsin, there's nine of them. And they've had so-so hunts, you know, 40, a 20, a 15, you know, it's typical spring snow goose hunting. Well, this year they came out and it was their fourth year with me. They killed over 300 or 400 birds in three, three days. 
they were ecstatic. The old man who takes them all out here came up. He said, we had our confidence. We've been, we've stuck with you for four or five years. Thank you very much. It was the best one of our life. We'll be back next year and many years to come. And that right there makes my whole season when somebody does that. Because he, every year they come out, one year they came out and they shot nine geese. I mean, the, it was just blizzard, four inch, five inches of snow. The geese were, I mean, it's your dates. I can't do anything about it. It's a snowstorm. I, I mean, it was a fluke thing. But they, they stuck it out with me, and they had the best snow goose on their life. And I guarantee you the reason they stuck it out is because of your personality, your sense of humor, your work ethic, your your attention to detail, the lodge, everything that you have going into this hunt. I could go into a situation, and I could pick apart like is if there's it was preparation or not. Mm-hmm. You're smart enough to understand that, too, and hopefully your clients are, too, to where when the birds don't cooperate, Mother Nature's not on that day, or, you know, she's like, hey, you know, it ain't my fault. You guys should have done a better job of looking at the forecast. <laughs> right. That experience is everything. Mm-hmm. And at Prairie Sky Lodge in South Dakota, with Migration X Outfitters, there's a lot going on right now, momentum-wise, to show that this guide's life, this outfitter's life, this experience that we're willing to take the responsibility and shoulder that you're going to spend your hard-earned money with us to come and do, you have set yourself up now to provide even a better experience. And what I mean by when I say that is, and let's let some of the news out of the bag we will hear is you have Migration X Outfitters, which concentrated on ducks and geese, Canada, snow geese, spring, fall, um, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Nebraska mainly. And then you've got into the, the northern part of Kansas, mainly for ducks. Um, you've added it to your arsenal in the last 365 days by purchasing the Prairie Sky Lodge in South Dakota, which has been known for world-class pheasant hunting, roosters up the yin-yang, just awesome world-class pheasant. I know we hear that world-class all the time, but it's awesome. And then you got your ducks, you got your geese, you got your snow geese, you got your Canada's, you got your predators, you got your turkeys, you got your seven miles south of the Oklahoma, or the, excuse me, of the North Dakota border, your way north of the Oklahoma, Oklahoma border, but you're seven miles south of the North Dakota border, 7,000 square foot lodge on 1,300 acres with landowners and a network and everything. Now this experience starts to really shine, right? Talk to me a little bit about what you're thinking. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's where I want to be. I mean, it's, it's a whole unique lodge. There's so, you've been there. There's so much to offer there. It's a beautiful setting, beautiful view, the hunting, the everything. And the, the being away from home is, you know, it's a big thing, going to Kansas and doing all that. Where I'm only from, from Prairie Sky, it's an hour to my, home, my house. So it's basically like a job, just go there in the morning, this and that. And it's, I like the, the variety of hunting. Morning duck hunt, afternoon duck hunt, morning pheasant hunt, afternoon duck hunt type of deal. And it's just, it's a whole different ballgame. And I just, I found it, I got an option to go in and lease it with an option to buy it. And so I took it and ran with it. And I, uh, I see a big future ahead. So you have, you have Mindy and her husband there and you have a crew of cooks and cleaners and guides and, and, um, operations and maintenance and you have vehicles and shuttles and you have all this to offer. And on top of the meals and the lodging, you're talking about scenery where when I was sitting there and I drove up on the dirt road and saw that just the driveway going up to the lodge at Prairie Sky, you're just like, man, this is America at its finest. Mother Nature and God combined that day and said, you know what, let's create something to where one day they're going to put a lodge right here that's going to provide a service 
for families and fathers and sons and handicapped and veterans and celebrities and uh, TV shows to be filmed and product to be tested. And God and Mother Nature looked at each other and went, let's do it right here. And there couldn't be a better place picked out in maybe all of America, for sure not in South Dakota. I mean, I don't, I've been all over that state, and that place is just laid out to perfection. Oh, it's set on the perfect hill. I mean, it overlooks. You can see, well, you know, North Dakota out the front window. It's up on top of the Glacial Lake Mountain. It's the highest point, and it's, it's just absolutely beautiful. And I think out of the pheasant hunting, getting into that, this is, is, that's, that's fun. A lot, lot of potential with the, the a lot pheasant. of potential. It's huge. I, and the, the, the limit's five a day in South Dakota. Five a day because we're actually a, a preserve slash wild, and I can release as many as I want, and I can control my population of pheasants. And they mix that in with the wild yeah. birds. no. And you put together great bird dogs, pointers, oh, yeah. pointing labs, English pointers, <laughs> Vizlas, whatever it is. And you mix that again with the drive up into that place and the view and the water out front and the walleye. And, you know, that talking about guides and prairie sky, I knew you were a good guy. I didn't know how good of a guide you were mm. when, when I first met you, we hit it off and we're talking and then I saw your work ethic and, um, you didn't stay up and party. You went to bed cause you had to get up at two 30 and drive and get the decoy rig set up. And this is back in April and we hit it off. We, we kind of saw each other that we had the same passion, the same love for the sport. You had heard a bunch of things about me in the industry. I hadn't really heard much about you. So I was able to judge you with a clean slate, but of course I had to prove myself to you that, <laughs> that maybe Chad building's a little bit different than what the internet says. And, and then what I really saw though, was in the last two weeks, because my buddy, Jamie Johnson in color, you know, the, yeah. he's a, one of the baddest ass songwriters and singers great, ever to come out of, he's guy. from Alabama and Nashville. But he's up in Bismarck, and then he had a day off, and then he was playing Fargo. And it all started when your wife, who is a, a huge Jamie Johnson, George Jones fan, she wanted to go see him and knew that we had a connection and asked me, hey, can we go see him in Bismarck? And I'm like, why would you want to go to Bismarck when he's going to be in Fargo two nights later? And you all live in Fargo. And she's like, oh, that makes sense. So we started thinking, and when I found out <clears throat> Jamie had that day off, well, this is what happened in a nutshell is I said, Hey, what about taking him fishing? And you go, Oh, I could take Jamie fish. I go, well, it's not just Jamie. Cause Jamie travels with an entourage, you know? yeah. <laughs> right? When it's Jamie, it's 15. Oh, it's yeah. and when he, when he, uh, RSVPs to a wedding, it's one, but it's, it's Jamie Johnson plus 15, not plus one. <laughs> and I get that. And I love it. And I've been around Zach and other musicians that they just like having their band and oh, their crew like around. A, it's a family. It's a family affair. And they get the limelight. They get all the goodies all the time. And they're saying, Hey, if I'm going, they're going and I get it. And that's awesome. So what do you do? You put together five boats, you get them on some water that is, is known for walleye fishing. You work your network you go through all of it through from getting Jamie's favorite unsweet tea to his black coffee to the right PBR beer for the crew. <laughs> you parked both of their tour buses at the Prairie Sky Lodge. You parked their semis on your property in Fargo right next, which happened to be right next to the theater yeah. that they were all playing. So all the stars aligned. Jamie's catching walleye and texting pictures of these walleye. You fry the walleye for him. You bring him to your Wednesday night steak fry at the Prairie Sky Lodge. And now I'm like, man. That's how I would have done it. And I'm not saying that I'm the best or anything good about it. I'm just saying if somebody entrusted me to take out Jamie Johnson fishing and to know that you put the best guides, the best boats, put them on the best water, gave them the best steak, the best fried walleye, lodging at the lodge, um, the view, the bus is parked right there for safety and security. Jamie calls and says, it couldn't have been any better, but <laughs> those people are spectacular. And I'm like, exactly. So right there, I'm like, 
Chris is a guy that I would entrust in. He just proved that to me. Federal's already got that trust in you and you've gained that credibility with them to keep coming back to test their product. So we start talking, you know, in the last 60 days and let's talk a little bit about what's going on now with that. Well, you want to start or me? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's, I mean, it's one of those things that I don't, I don't take lightly. It's, it's no, very important to me. I think we hit it off great. We both, I love, you got so much passion and so much drive and you got a, you got a big, a lot of fuel behind you. And I mean, that's something I need. I need that. I mean, the Prairie Sky needs that. And I think we gel really well. We both have the same vision, the same outlook, the same work. Oh, your work ethic is a lot more than mine. I mean, you're, you're nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy nuts. So, I mean, in a nutshell, we're going to be partners on this. So that's, that's the nutshell. So in the nutshell, in some more of that nutshell is Chris came to me with this offer and I was like, um, what's the catch? You know, like <laughs> what's the punchline? You know? Yeah. Right. And he's like, there's no catch. I want you to come in as an equity owner in the lodge and in the property and help me put this horsepower behind it. And, and, and this platform and this network. And so far we've seen it rolling. The oh, momentum is going, right? The social media, um, the, 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 guests that we have coming up, the guests that have already been there, like I, Jamie Johnson, for example, we just talked about and Wally and Herb Hasse and, and Chris and the entire Jamie Johnson crew, they had a blast, but we have a lot of cool groups coming. We have, um, different, um, camps that are, are already being discussed with let's talk about Traeger they want to bring yeah. a bunch of grills out and they want to do product testing and do media events and cooking demonstrations and hunts and mix it with fishing and that's what I'm most excited about is that I love ducks and I love geese and I somewhat like snow geese but then you got unreal turkey hunting you have your relationship with the tribe there you have your mm. relationship with all the farmers and landowners not just in south dakota but we can go across the border seven miles north of north dakota we can we're going to be in nebraska for snow geese we're going to be in kansas for ducks and now we're even throwing around the, the great state of oklahoma. oklahoma so we might have that entire flyway covered right there from north to south and with this new partnership and the horsepower that we're planning on putting behind it w that's why i wanted to talk about guides and safety and outfitting and responsibility of taking somebody's money to provide them a hunt and making sure that transparency is there and that that work ethic and that entire time there in camp is going to be awesome. And that's why we are willing to take on responsibility of bringing Anheuser-Busch in there, bringing Benelli in there, bringing Traeger in there, bringing Jamie Johnson in there. We talked to Zach Brown about it when we were at his concert in Sioux Falls, mm -hmm. bringing Zach and Chad and the whole crew up there to hunt and fish and relax, get out in the middle of nowhere, turn your cell phones off and your iPads and your computers and disconnect for a little bit. And, and really find yourself in prairie sky and the sky's the limit is our new slogan. Not anything to do with killing your limited birds, but the sky's the limit when you're on that property. We want you to be free. We want your mind. We want your creativity coming out. We want to host leadership camps and we want to host team building and team, team unification events for corporate companies and corporations. And we have the ability to do that. And that's what you saw in me. And now when I see in you and what you did for Jamie and what you did for federal, it's almost like a no brainer. And the whole, what's the catch deal was like, man, this place is valuable already. Mm -hmm. So for you, which you, you're in, you, you've been lucky in life. You've worked your butt off in life and you've made a good living and you continue to make it. And for you to entrust in me and our crew and my brother and Tom and Tyson and Josh and, and Jared and everybody that works with us, all of our partners, I can't wait 
to go to Maryland with you at the end of the month and tell Tim Joseph and Tom DeBold and George Thompson and J.P. Fisher at Benelli what's getting ready to go down there. Um, We've already talked to J.P. about it and George when I was in Argentina with him two weeks ago, and they're like, we're in. We want to come. We want to do it. Because you can wake up in the morning and go get on a mallard feed or a goose feed or a snow goose feed. When I say goose, I'm always referring to Canada geese. And then you got snow geese. And then you can come back and get behind a pointer and go kill your pheasant. Hop in a boat and go go catch a couple walleye. Go call a coyote. Mm-hmm. go sit on the porch and do nothing and have a cold beer and, and open the Traeger and, and, and eat some good smoked beef or something. <laughs> There's so much that I'm looking forward to at that place. And you can hear it in my voice right now that I appreciate and thank you and your wife, Joe Lynn for entrusting myself and our team to give us this opportunity. And now at the beginning of this, I was talking about the pressure of on an outfitter and on a guide and supplying that experience. Now I got the pressure on my shoulders on my half, not because of you, but I want to perform. And so I want this to be, when people listen to this, I want them to look up prairieskyranch.com and I want them to see what we're getting ready to do the changes we're making the additions we're making the things we're putting into that the things we're taking away come get to know the crew come let us give that experience of the hunt after the hunt the meals the nightlife um, the the lodge feel that country Americana dirt road back road America farmers combines dust in your rear view watching mallards pitch into a hole watching a coyote howl on the horizon watching that moon go down and that sun come up or that sun go down and that moon come up all those pictures that you can paint vividly in your brain as a waterfowl hunter as a turkey hunter as a predator hunter a walleye fisherman a cook somebody that just likes to barbecue come see it there because it's beautiful and I appreciate it bro I'm excited me too, buddy. It's, we're going to have a good future. Um, you're a man of so many words. Oh, it's like you, you, you... I've been on a plane for 12 hours. Chris is one of those guys that where you see it like he wants to say it, and then he's just like, me too, buddy. Me too, we're buddy. We're going to have a bright future. <laughs> but I am. I'm excited for it, Chris. And I oh, think yeah. what you've done and the way you've set this up is going to be advantageous and beneficial in so many ways, mentally and physically, emotionally, um, to so many different people, what we're getting ready to do, your charitable donations and your charitable events you do with handicapped kids and providing hunts for that. Um, the thing we're getting ready to do with Jamie Johnson at his golf tournament in Alabama and give, give a hunt to his, do- his charity to, to auction off at that event. Um, and then the product testing and everything that we do, I'm getting goosebumps, no pun intended, just thinking about it. Canada goosebumps, not snow goosebumps i don't want you to think that i'm ever going to get hooked on that i'd rather go i'd I'd rather watch paint no no there's hope for you (laughs) you think so there's hope for me so at when you're when you're in the lodge and you're and you're gonna you know say hey come and join us at prairie prairie sky you have a full-blown commercial kitchen there with an awesome bar and an awesome dining area and then out in front, tell the story about the, the, the uh, steak fry last week and, and when Jamie was watching you fry these steaks. What happened? <laughs> so we're sitting there, and we, they get, we get them fishing. I got the oil going because every Wednesday we do a public, to the public, open to the public, pitchfork steak fry. And if a lot of people don't know what that is, but we got a big pot that we heat up, put the oil in it, usually 10 gallons of oil, and then we put steaks on pitchforks. Get the oil to 400, put them in the put them in there at a certain time for medium rare and all that stuff so jamie comes over and i say you ever seen this he says no and uh, herb was saying the same thing he's like what the hell is this and i said just watch i asked him all they want their steak medium rares four minutes put the steak on there put it in the oil comes out and i cut a piece off and i gave it to him and he his eyes i mean normally you know you know when you look at chad when you look at jamie right you look at him he's like this but his eyes lit up like 
what in the hell is that? And I remember I said, you said he said something like, where'd you get it? Yeah, yeah. Where, <laughs> he eats the steak, Herb eats his steak, and then all of a sudden they, Jamie's over there kneeling down, taking pictures and this, and then, you know, he's pretty quiet, quiet, not really yeah, else. He talks less than you. Yeah, and so he comes up to me, and he's sitting there for about two minutes, kind of awkward, and he goes, where'd you get it? Where can I get one? And I'm like, I'll, 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 I'll do you a favor. I'll find out. And we hooked him up. So he is just. Well, set. tell the story. You said, you uh, said, I, I might be able to find one. Yeah, I might be able to find one. By when? Yeah. And we had one, uh, we had one sitting right down the road. And, and so, so you drive up and put the headlights on it. Yeah. And put it in the back of the truck and bring it up to Fargo, put it on his semi. And he. Uh, Did he fly it up there or put it on the bus? Well, I, I put it in the back of the truck that next morning and drove it up there. Oh, you put, you drove it up yeah, there for him. Yeah, yeah. And then so. I didn't expect any, anything, so Herb comes walking up and he gives me a, some cash. And I'm like, well, you don't have to do that. I was just trying to be nice. I, I like you guys. You guys are cool, you know? He said, no, Jamie insists, take it. And so then the, the whole golf tournament. And he wants me to, he, I'm supposed to send him a list of times how to cook it, this and that. So he's well, all we're, about we're it. We're going to be at the golf tournament. Uh, I know. Gonna, he's probably <laughs> inviting us so we run the steak for, cook it, for him. Cook it for all him. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to text him today and, uh, or tomorrow because he's got a show tonight. But we'll ask him, hey, are we just invited to Alabama to run the steak fry? We need to know this now so we bring aprons. Yeah. Well, tell we, us oh, if we need to bring aprons. Are we the cooks or what? <laughs> so, you, you know, you, you have that steak fry going on at the lodge. Is one thing on Wednesday nights through the summer that 60, 70, 100 people show up on a Wednesday night and get their steak. And that stuff, we don't do that out here. We don't have chiselet out here. We don't have steak fries out here. When you go back in the, you know, the Wisconsin, Minnesota, North Dakota, Friday nights is there's a lot of fish fries going on at bars and pubs and restaurants. And then you have your steak fries like you do. And I tasted it and I'm like, damn, you know, this is some good, this is smoking, you know, steak as far as beef goes. And you get, you got Jamie up there and he falls in love with it. Your clientele's falling in love with it. There's a, there's a common theme going on on that property that no matter what you're there for, it's going to be a hoot, right? Oh, yeah. It's going to be something that it, there's, there's like, you could put the boats out front in that pond and the, what kids can do on that with just a little fishing rod and a tackle box. I just want to make sure that people understand that this is more than just waking up and going and killing a limit of ducks and coming back. It's going to be a really, really cool family experience. You know, like I said, a corporate experience, team building experience. There's going to be a lot of things that we're going to offer there. And I don't want to, I don't want that to come off lightly because again, I appreciate the opportunity. And when I talk to people about it, like my buddy Les, who you're going to meet tonight, he's like, yeah, so what does he want in return? What, how much money do you need to put into it? I'm like, dude, he's, he's giving it to me. And to me, that's humbling. Yeah. And I think that, that I don't want people to get the wrong interpretation that I'm bringing all this money and clout into this deal. You saw something and you opened your heart up and said, hey, let's do this together. And there's really no gain or benefit out, no short-term goals by you. This is a long-term deal. The big picture is we want to build something where it's a destination to come and live your outdoor dreams. Be disconnected from the world and, and be at peace. And that's what Jamie said is that you know, I just don't like people to be able to find me. And, you know, he's like, I, I like it there. He's mm -hmm. like, I felt good being there. And, you know, you said the second night he really got comfortable and oh, opened yeah. up a little bit. And he, he goes up and he plays a show at Fargo and you and Joe Lynn get to go and hang backstage at the beginning of it. And, um, cool experience on a couple a month before that, we're down with Zach backstage and yep. you guys get to meet Zach and these guys, I, I it's, they're not celebrities to the point to where they treat us like we're any different. And the reason is, hunting, the mm -hmm. outdoors, 
places like Prairie Sky, it disconnects you from that lifestyle that they're used to living with Zach, 40,000 at Fenway Park, and Jamie, 15,000 at this amphitheater, and 40,000 at this one, and the number one hits, and being on stage with Willie Nelson, and George Jones, and George Strait, and these guys that we run with have done it, and they get to a place like Prairie Sky, that's why we have so much in common and can sit there and talk to them behind the scenes of a place like of crowded arena when they sit down with us it's always about hunting it's not what they just did out there yeah and so you guys go up there and you're backstage and joe lynn's just through the roof yeah oh, on yeah. cloud nine. Oh yeah oh, she was so nervous were you worried no. no come on no no rock star no he once one that night at the steak fry he we just talked we had a good time we laughed we had a good time and he said it, it's you could kind of sense that he was himself he didn't have to be you know the singer or whatever you know he was relaxed and so that's how i treated him that's how i treat you know anybody i meet i treat him like i want to be treated you know down to earth i don't care if it's donald trump so was it the same kind of vibe in the green room the dressing room when you got backstage yeah was he cool yeah very cool and we sat on the tour bus for about 45 minutes before he played just bs with him talked about life talked about everything you know Found out how much his tour buses are worth. <laughs> <laughs> There's no joke in a Prevost, huh? Oh, man. <laughs> I'm talking $1.2, $1.4 million, dude. I, I was thinking like a couple hundred thousand. Oh, no. And he's like, oh, I got this one used for eight fifty. dollars <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they're not, they don't mess around when they God, do it. And, and they're really cool when you get in there and see the theme of them and how guys decorate oh, yeah. them. And, and you, you get to see the personal touches that these artists put in them. And, and I've been on, you know, some, and luckily I've been invited on a few. And I'm just like, man. We need one of these for the foul life with the decoys <laughs> underneath and just going down the road, seeing America, having a full-time driver. Obviously, safety's everything. You're pulling over and getting your rest, but the bunk spaces, the back room, the electronics, the TVs, I mean, it's it's living. And, and oh, yeah. again, this life ain't for everybody. Being on the road and touring across America, um, you know, those buses, they're there because they got their families with them. They got their friends with them. You can't be on your, by yourself on the road. Like these guys are, they'll leave on a Thursday and come back on a Sunday night. They got Monday and Tuesday, and Wednesday to refresh. And then boom, they're right back out. And in today's music world, that's really the way these artists are making their money. So they got to be on it all year round to where before they might tour four or five months, but now it's like, man, record sales aren't there with all the ways to stream music that, you know, it's not like you go into tower records anymore and buy a CD or a cassette or a, or a vinyl. They got to make their money in merchandise and touring. And so they're on the road year round. So those buses got to be comfortable and equipped with the finest things to their families. Their kids are on them. Their mom, their mom might come out for a run and, and hang out on the bus for a little bit or guests like you and Joe Lynn being on there. It's their life. It's their livelihood. So they're willing to invest in them. There's leasing programs. So a lot of them like Jamie that are lucky enough to have the career in songwriting and performing and, or Zach, they buy them and they mock them out. Zach's had so much leather work done in his, you're just like, holy smokes. You know, Zach owns a leather company, a bad company and his guy, his leather workers are insane Jesus. talent. So, so the, the concert's awesome. I mean, they sing every song. No, doesn't he put yeah. on a show that you're just like, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's his good. I never knew he was that good of a guitar player. I never, but just watching him is, he he's, can, he can pick it, huh? Oh, he, did you meet Hennessy? Oh yeah. Chris, I meet him get along. He's cool. Is he's, he your bro? He's cool shit. I like Isn't him. he awesome? Yeah. That whole band, Herb Hassey at merchandise. <laughs> he, he's married and getting ready to have a little one. A so little he puts one. Him, getting yeah. ready to have a little one. Yeah. So he sings in color. Did he sing? This land is your land. This land is my land. Yes, he did. And then he sang, uh, most of my favorite one from, uh, Jennings and Jones that Wally came but, up. Between the, Jennings and Jones. Yeah, between Jennings and Jones. That came, you know how that song came about, right? Yeah. Between I know. Wally. Oh, uh, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, the whole the whole way that that song transpires of leaving, you know, leaving Alabama headed north on 65 and you're going up to Nashville and you don't know where you fit in. It's somewhere between Jennings over here and George Jones over here, which really isn't that much, no. you know, to be in between them, you're, you're are them. And then all of a sudden it's record record executives are in a, in a club one night in Nashville and they see Jamie play. He was half lit. They said it sounded just right. <laughs> and now they're like, um, you know, what, where do you fit in? And he's like somewhere between Jennings and Jones. And then the last verse, it's like when you go into a record store, you're going to find me because his name's Jamie Johnson, J-O-H, and now you're between J-E-N, Jennings, mm -hmm. and J-O-N, Jones. How genius is that song? Like, it's genius. And that's the genius of Jamie Johnson and Wally and these guys that live that Americana life is like songwriting's an art. And to do it right and to do it with the kind of songwriting that lights me up to where I'll appreciate it is right there. Mm-hmm. George Jones and Merle Haggard and Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings and Jamie Johnson and Chris Stapleton and Brent Cobb and Drake White and Lee Lott. And those guys have something to say and they say it through a pencil and paper and then they pick that guitar and they just, it just like, it just makes you know that you're alive when you hear that music. Oh yeah. And it, the, when he was up there, the first song, I was just like, whoa, he can play guitar like no other. I didn't know that, you know, because normally when you go to a, a concert or a band, it's the singer's not picking a guitar. Yeah. I mean, he's singing. Unless you're, unless you're, you know, Stapleton does, if you've yeah. seen him live and Jamie Johnson. Yeah, and, I mean. But you're right. I mean, for the most part, the front man's the vocalist. And yeah. there's very few guys that can, I mean, I'm not going to say there's very few. There's more than you would think. But as far as that are out there in the public eye that are celebrity or famous, yeah, Jamie and, and Zach is amazing. Like, if you go watch Zach, you saw him. Oh, yeah. He can absolutely pick, like, nonstop. And people probably like, ooh, name droppers. It's always Zach. It's always Jamie. No, we're just humbled to know them and to be a part of what they do and, and have them in camp and hunt with them and for a place like prairie sky back to what we're discussing thank you thank you thank you for entrusting in us and bringing us on to this deal we're going to kick some ass with it and i want to bring everybody out there i want everybody listening to this you're invited come out get online book a hunt book a trip come out and fish we're going to have so much to offer and we're going to keep adding to it and we can't wait to uh to launch this and and make it official as far as the public knows and when they hear it on this life ain't for everybody they're going to be the first ones to know about it we've been holding down the the strings on this deal forever <laughs> and now we're starting to loosen up on those strings a little bit but for sure it's going to be fun it's going to be full of passion and just the memories for our families it, like the first, one of the first things you said was you need to bring your daughter out here for the fireworks show next year because you put on a huge firework display oh, yeah. right every fourth of july every fourth a huge pyrotechnic show yeah yep yep and it's it's getting popular more and more and more it's my second year and this year everybody said are you going to go bigger next year because this is huge and i said it's going to get bigger every year every year we had Leith Lofton out there playing oh, yeah. it this year. Huh? Yeah, What'd yeah. you think of Leith? He's he's a he's a good old boy. I like him. He's coming back up snow goose hunting. He is, huh? Yeah, and and turkey. <laughs> He'll be up there all the time. He <laughs> might as well just have a key to the place. Everybody that meets him falls in love. Oh, you want to watch my kid tomorrow? I know you never met him. And he's like, hell yeah, just bring him over. He's awesome. I mean, his wife yeah. Steffi. They're going to be out here in a couple of weeks at the Tahoe. Yeah, he said that. Yep. So we're going to have. They came out last year. We got a big pontoon boat for my buddy Tom Cox at Aloha Pontoons and edge duck boats and we bar hopped and we swam and we paddleboard and the kids were we had a bunch of kids days up there so I love Leith Lofton and again he said man that place is special yeah. you know the whole theme of this friendship with me and you was you know Prairie Sky Lodge it started in the snow goose field and it had it had hunting and 
outfitting and memories and country music all mixed in that, that brought us together. And now we're sitting here on this podcast studio talking about what's getting ready to happen and what's already happened in the last six months or not, not even six months. I met you in April, May, June, July. So really four months and a couple days since we met and we've already done a lot together. We've traveled together already. You're down in my home city. Now I've been to your house. I know your wife. I've met your kids. We've been to concerts together, hunts together, the lodge together. And then that's, that's what's getting ready to happen all the time. And, uh, I can't get it out man. I'm just, I'm fired up right now talking about it. So getting back to when we first met, right? I've, I've hunted with, so like all of the TV shows and everybody's come on and hunt with me and the host of the TV shows. And what stuck with me with you is there's so much passion in you. There's so much drive. It's amazing. I mean, and it's not all about killing. You see what I see. Hunting to me is the grass, the, the crops, the wind, the sun, the, the, the landscape, the birds. It's all of that encompassed. You know, when I was with these other people, oh, we got to kill this. We got to kill that. We got to do this. And, and they, don't, they don't get the hunting hunting is a tradition it's it's uh it's a lifestyle it's everything you know and people that's to today and age the 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 younger generation are losing that grasp of hunting it's all about killing yeah it's all about hashtag make a pile yeah and yeah and, and i'm yeah. not saying that the killing part's not important that i enjoy it i always say it i love to kill oh yeah i love to you know get them tight and right mm -hmm. and call them in and well, decoy them and course. trick them you know, I'm not going to ever take away the fact that, yeah, we are out there and we are going to kill and then we're going to butcher it and then we're going to process it. Then we're mm -hmm. going to grill it and we're going to eat it and we're going to have an experience. Mm -hmm. We're going to pass that experience on to other generations. We're going to get more women involved, more kids involved. We're going to provide therapeutic hunts for veterans that have been fighting for our freedoms on foreign soil. And I've had several people say the as soon as my boots touch American soil, the first thing I think about besides my wife and kids and my family is getting in the woods mm -hmm. and we've been able lucky enough and humbled to provide those hunts to to different veterans and working with with you know different agencies like the the freedom hunters foundation and my buddy all, all my buddies that run that that i met through benelli and that's because of hunting we get to do that and the hashtag make a pile and the hashtag kill a limit and all that when we say take it to the, you know the sky's the limit i almost said take it to the limit with the eagles but it's more it's the sky's the limit like you hear the, there's no there's no boundaries do whatever you want here this is going to be fishing and hunting and and there's archery targets and there's sporting clays and there's there's horseback riding there's buffalo to look at there's deer to look at there's there's just so much about americana and i said it before of being in reno and waking up in the morning and knowing what hustle and bustle i go through this time of the year and business and entrepreneurship and branding and all that we forget about the little man out there on the combine in Kansas mm -hmm. or North Dakota that starts starts his tractor up at five, four in the morning and goes and tills the land and then goes and takes care of his cattle or goes and feeds the chickens and gets the milk and, and the eggs and goes back in for a little breakfast and coffee with his wife. That's still going on in America. And that's what hunting means to me is all these different walks of life that come together because of it. And they get to enjoy each other at hunting camp. Jamie Johnson or celebrities aren't celebrities when they're there. No. When the warriors there that fight for our freedoms and our, our armed forces, they forget about that. They're, it's therapy being able to see mother nature at its finest, hear those sounds, smell those smells, pet that dog, be around kids, whatever it is. Hunting in America, to me, is way more than seeing a bird die. And it's sad mm -hmm. to me. 
We're killing shit. Mm-hmm. We're killing animals. Yeah. We're taking the responsibility to point a gun and pull the trigger and watch an animal die right before our eyes. Okay? It's not dramatic. It's not gladiator music on top. We're not Braveheart and Mel Gibson running <laughs> a bunch of people. We, we, I've, I've hunted with people that have ran at real people with guns and been in war and fought for our freedoms. Okay. It's not drama. Hunting is about memories. Hunting is way more than, and it's exactly what you're saying. It's, it's way more than just that kill. So if we're going, if we're going to kill animals and we're going to take that responsibility of killing animals, then we damn sure have to be able to say, we have compassion for these animals mm-hmm. and we do oh, hunters yeah. put in a lot of money and a lot of sweat equity and a lot of time to make sure that these animals are taken care of, that populations are thriving. And then on top of it, we make sure that we educate people and yeah, we do kill a few, but we're farming for them. We're, we're raising money for them. We're benefiting these animal populations. The heart of a hunter, the compassion of a hunter is everything to me. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so easy to meet somebody that has those same views and fall in love with them, have something in common and create a friendship and a lot of memories down the road with them. That whole hashtag kill them all, shoot them in the face, get them tight and right and all that. I understand that if you're 20 and 25, but the sooner you mature and get that out of your head, like you're saying, the more you're going to find to enjoy in this, right? Exactly. That's, that sums it all up. I mean, the hunt, setting the decoy, scouting, all that, and that's, it's the hunt. And then when you're done hunting, you pick the decoys up, you go back to the trailer. And the first thing on my mind is what, how, where we're going to clean them, how am I going to process them, what I'm going to do with them, how am I going to make them, and it just goes into that, and then the cleaning and all that stuff. I feel when I'm cleaning geese and I see one that's shot up and I have to throw it because it's too shot up, I feel guilty. Yeah. I, there's something in me I just I feel bad, but it's 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 collateral damage, I guess. Yeah, and when you come when when you have somewhere like Prairie Lodge that has the ability to provide so many special memories. There are still rules and guidelines oh, yeah. and laws. And you, when you come and kill birds, you're taking your birds with them. And exactly. if you're going across state lines, you're gonna, we're going to clean them for you and process them with a the wing on. And um, we're going we're gonna to eat some of them on the deck, and we're going to cook some of them on the Traeger. We're going to fry some of them with the steak fry. But for sure, it's not going to be somewhere where people are just going to come and shoot up as much as they can. Talk to me about the spring snow goose season. And when you're killing two, 300 birds in a day, homeless shelters. Um, I know that there's zoos that, that it sounds bad, but you're, you're, those animals and zoos have wolves. to eat somehow. Wolves. I mean, um, they're feeding these geese to different animals. Are you, pro- when I saw you, I'm like, what are you going to do with all these? And you're like. I process them. My kids can't live without them. No, I, I cook them up. I grill them up. I make them into pepperoni sticks. You really do take a lot of pride in making sure that these geese are going to benefit somebody with well, being a bounty on a table, right? And it, it's, it goes into the whole wretch, the whole big picture of hunting. So I, I process them. Last year I did 600 pounds at my processor. My bill was in the thousands of dollars, but I got sticks and I got summer sausage and I got all that. And so then when I'm out talking to a farmer, hey, can you know, do you mind if we hunt here, da, 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 I'll give them a pack or whatever. Farmers love that. I mean, it's just a, it's a relationship thing. And I hate seeing something that I, I hate seeing wildlife go to waste. That's just me. Well, if you don't, then you shouldn't be a hunter. Right, right. And I know that there's people out there, oh, whatever, you know, I don't eat ducks, but I'm still going to kill them. I'm like, all right, that's fine to have that, but it, it, it's better. It's a more complete picture and puzzle if you learn how to process them right and butcher them and take that meat off the bone and then cook them because I can make duck taste awesome. 
personally, I can. I've had a lot of people eat a lot of different recipes, and I take a lot of pride in that. Mm-hmm. And I think you should be a man, be a woman, be a complete conservationist, and be a butcher, and be a, a, a cook and a grill master. Freaking live off the land, man. Mm-hmm. Get back to the way it's supposed to be done. You go out, you kill it, you eat it. You follow? Yeah. And now in Africa, you go over there, you say, well, they're killing all these animals. What do they do? Well, those locals eat all that meat. Oh, yeah. They'll eat off an elephant for freaking months. On a f- feed a village. You go up like Shockey has and kill whales in some different parts of, of, of the Arctic and stuff. They're, those people eat every bit of it. Les has been on hunts for walrus where they bury the fat and the meat in the ice, dig holes in the ice, and come and dig it up months later and eat it. I mean, these people know how to utilize every single piece of these. And that's what we have to get back to is I know several people that don't just breast out their birds. We breast out a lot of their birds. I'm not afraid to say there's not a lot of meat on a duck's leg or a duck's back. We eat the breast meat and the tenderloins most of the time. But I love to pluck a duck in a speckle belly and put it on a beer can or one of these chicken thrones that Traeger makes and cook it and get that really juicy leg meat. And I, I've had Cajuns make tons of different gumbos and roux by, you know, getting the legs and browning them and getting all that moisture out of those legs for, for a gumbo or whatever it is. So I couldn't agree more. You got to have compassion for these animals. And if you hunt, then you stay out there and you clean them. You pick up the decoy spread. You be a part of the entire experience. And I love those kind of clients that come out and hell no, we're not sitting in the truck while you set up the decoys. We're coming out and helping put us to work. We want to be a part of this experience. And I think that's what we need to, to really press and, and do Chris is like, Hey, you're going hunting with us. We don't want to necessarily be quote unquote guiding you. Let's all go hunting. Let's have an experience. Let's lay it out. Let's strategize the night before let's communicate over a cocktail or over a dinner and say, Hey, here's what we got going on. You guys got anything? We are, we do know this area, but if you guys want to see something or you want to see something done a different way, don't be afraid to say something that you might want to see in your experience. We want to provide the best opportunity for you to have the greatest time of your life right now for the next three or four days. And I think if we take that approach and people say, Hey, I'm going hunting with these guys. I get to go hunt with Chris Green tomorrow. He's not guiding me per se. And I think that's how the repeat clientele comes is now the second year and for sure by the third year, they're just hunting with you. Mm -hmm. They're not really being guided. They're just using you for your connections and your network and your farmers and your access to land. And they're just your buddies hunting with you, right? Yeah, that's it. It gets to that point. And then when it gets to that point though, then the whole money thing comes in. That's that's the one thing I fight with because then I feel... There's a guilt over me. When no, I, no, you can't do that. This I, is your I, livelihood. I, I know, I know, but there's a there's that sense of guilt because I you get, I'm f- like really good friends. I talk to them probably once or twice a week to a certain group of clients, but they have no problem paying. They they, they just here, you know. This is they understand that this is my livelihood. We're paying you for the experience of the hunt. Well, I mean, if I own a restaurant and you and your family come in there two or three times a week in Fargo, you're, I'm not going to sit there and, and comp your meals. Right. That's my livelihood. That's oh, yeah. my food cost. I'm going to buy you a beer once in a while, but you as a mature adult and understanding business and revenue and profit margins and livelihood and raising a family and putting kids in college and buying diapers and buying groceries. Hell no, they're not going to get a comp. Oh, yeah. on. A lot of guys are like, well, we didn't kill them these last three days. You can come back. I'm going to comp this. No, outfitting is not about comp hunts outfitting is about clientele understanding that they're going to again put their responsibility and tr- their, their trust in us and we're going to take that responsibility on and provide an experience and we're going to put them on the best situation 
that we possibly can that morning or that afternoon. If we don't kill them in the morning, hopefully we do have a grind in the afternoon to where we can set up for some dry field mallards or a little pile. We're going to do go to the end of the, every extreme to make sure that they get on the best hunts. But by no means are we going to ever have the mentality of, oh, we didn't do our job. We're always going to do our no, job. Yeah. We're not going to comp hunts. Every hunt I do is like I'm it's I'm hunting. Like you're paying to go on that hunt. Yeah, it's me. It's I'm... This is how I'm going to do it. This is me. This is how I would hunt. This is, you know, it's how I do it. I don't do it different just because of whatever. It's me. It's how I've grown up to hunt and, I mean, pretty good success. All of your guides follow in the same, you know, yeah, they, they, yeah. They, I mean, they, they, have, buy, they, they read that, they drink that Kool-Aid. They, they do and they have, you know, certain different things, you know, the young, you know, all my guides are younger and so they're on the social media and well, this outfitter's doing this, and it seems to be working. Well, try it. I don't care, if you know. But in my spread, it's the way I do it. And it's old school, and it works. And as far as the spreads go, these guides come up. Are they independent guys? Are they full-time employees usually? Or they work for you seasonally? Are they your decoy spreads? Or do they have to have their own their own arsenal to bring out in that field? Or you, no, you supply everything? It's my decoys, my, my equipment, my everything. And I've, I've gotten to know, like, Dylan and Evan Just. They are brothers. One does construction. One, one farms. So by the time farming's over November, mid-November, late November in North Dakota, so they love the spring snow goose hunting because there's nothing going on. They're laid off. So they love going down to Nebraska, and they love shooting snow geese. And, I mean, they got the itch like I do. And it's just fun watching them learn what I know and just watching them do different things. And, you know, it works and it doesn't work. You know, they learn. And what what do you teach them? Is there like a, uh, a driver's ed course they got to go through? To, <laughs> I mean, obviously, they're got, are they doing what you did back in the day of trying to get qualified to be their own boss someday or are do you do you teach them all your tricks or are they pretty qualified no they're loyal they're they're the you know i've gone through probably 15 guides 20 i'll be probably say more because guides come and they go they come and they go they want to go to this outfit or that outfit or every year it's just more and more and i get people messaging me hey i want to come guide for you well I've gotten out of that, and I've got my loyal guides. They know. I trust them. I could give them the key to my – I could hand over, hand over my kids to them, and I trust them with them. That's just the, the relationship we have. And over the course, I mean, it's just they know how I hunt. They've hunted with me for 10 years, and they see how I hunt. They know how I set a spread. They know what I like to do. And they do that, and then they'll try different things, and they just – great personal people i mean ever i've never had a bad com uh comment or bad remark over any one of my guides between dylan and evan yeah and if they're gonna you know take on that again a responsibility going out and flying your flag and representing prairie sky and migration x then they have to understand that there's you know there's a, a, a set of rules that they're going to play by too and that we expect perfect customer service and oh, yeah. a great experience and safety and camaraderie and conversation and education if there's a kid in there light them up with a, a goose call lesson or a duck call lesson and and i i've been i've been told so many times man when when the birds aren't flying what do you do <laughs> you got it you can't pull the wool over their eyes no you got to make it to where they trust you like hey i'm in this hunt with you we'll stay out here all freaking day if you want to mm -hmm. if we kill eight ducks and it's fine and we're shooting until the sun goes down 
fine, so be it. But I don't want you guys to think that, that we didn't do our due diligence and our homework and that that's why this is happening. We have to, as an outfitter at Prairie Sky and Migration X, and they already do with you, that reputation's already there. They know that the work is being put in. And that is the most important part of, of getting that clientele back of, hey, we might not get them, but it's going to be a blast, right? Yeah. And that's why you were smart. Oh, maybe not genius. I don't. I, I I've been around you enough to know that <laughs> you, scatterbrain. But there is a there. You got a you got a way. You got a mad scientist like deal going on. You got a method to your ways, buy, buying and purchasing the Prairie Sky Lodge. And then I I mean I'm not tooting our horn or my horn, but you know teaming up with us I think is a smart idea because mm-hmm. we got you know we have that reach and I think that we're going to be able to paint that picture and tell that story of hey. Let's get to camp. Let's get there together. Let's go hang out. Yeah. Whether it's summertime or the fall or the winter, whether it's the reverse migration in the spring, um, there might be times where we got snow goose hunters going out and we got turkey hunters going out. Right. That's cool as heck. Oh, it's awesome. Turkey hunters probably aren't going to want to hang out with snow goose hunters because <laughs> snow goose hunters aren't right. Deer hunters aren't right. Deer hunters <laughs> definitely don't like hanging out with duck hunters and duck camp. There's just a different, and I've said that a lot of times. People are like, oh, don't go into that again. But it's different mentalities for all that stuff. And I can't wait to see all this coming to fruition and, and everything that we're talking about. I talked to Joe Lynn, your lovely wife, yesterday. You're out kicking your punk coverage big time there. Like, she's beautiful. You're n- not. But, um, <laughs> no, you're a handsome dude. Handsome little devil. But she's fired up, and she's excited because mm-hmm. they see it. They want to They know it. You know, I've, I've, I've talked to Mindy, and she sees it. She, under, she gets it, right? Like, hey, we're going to do some big things here. We're, we want to make this a good experience for all the employees, the entire crew, our customers, our clientele, our sponsors, our partners, our landowners. We're going to have barbecues. We're talking about music festivals. We're going to do a music festival, the Prairie Sky Festival. Oh, I just named it. Hey, there you go. The Festival, <laughs> the Ragu Festival, the Prairie Sky. But we're going to, there's a lot of things we're going to be able to do there. Oh, it's yeah. going to be awesome. And speaking of Mindy, what about Tucker? <laughs> Come on, dude. Oh, yeah. 11 years old or 13? He's 11. He's 11, yeah. And he's ranked number one in the Dakotas for not baseball, not tennis, not swimming, not what you guys do up there mainly is hockey. He's ranked number one in bull riding. Yeah. And I'm talking ranked bulls to where this dude's getting bucked off and landing on his head and he's riding eight seconds and winning <laughs> buckles. Mindy just sent me a picture day before yesterday of another buckle he just won. Oh, yeah. He's got over 20. The dude is a stud. Oh, yeah. Loves cooking on Traegers. Oh, yeah. Mindy's, Mindy and um, they're, they're just an awesome family. Oh, yeah. And he's riding bulls that are 1,000 pounds, and he don't weigh 100. I know. Isn't that crazy? What, it's more than crazy. What's he doing? What's he thinking? There again, it's that mentality. Like, what? You, you look at, like, Jesse Lockwood or Ty Herndon or, or the, the guys that are just on top of the, that, that world of, of, of Tough Edeman and Jim Sharp and Lane Frost and the world champions of that have gone through PRCA or the PBR now, Brazilians, Americans at 11 years old, he's been doing it since he was six or five or something. They get on horses, they get on sheep, they mutton bust, then they work their way up and graduate to smaller bulls. And now he's, or steers. And now he's on big time ranked bulls at 11 years old. Mm -hmm. That's hard for me to swallow. Like if that's my son, (laughs) I'm going, are you you freaking (laughs) lost your mind? Can you imagine being his mom when that shoot opens? Uh Uh-uh. And you close your eyes for eight seconds and let alone being on his mom's, Mindy's got her eyes closed and this kid's like, and he is at the steak fries on Wednesday night working his butt off with his Wranglers and his shirt tucked in and his Traeger 
styled colored boots and the orange and his big buckles and his in his baseball hat on when he's not having his cowboy hat on and most well-mannered polite clean cut just the sweetheart of a kid his sister's a sweetheart and that whole mentality of that part of america in the heartland that's the heartland right that's what it's called the yep. grand prairie the grand prairie is arkansas but that's a big time prairie pothole region too and i'm just i'm i'm praying for him every time he rides and I want to see him succeed. And could you imagine if we're sitting here talking about him when he's 11 and in seven years when he's 18, he becomes world champion in the PBR. That'd be oh. like Jesse Lockwood has. And I think Jesse's like 20 right now and he's already done it. Yeah. Tucker's and got it. He's got it. You think he does? Oh yeah. You know, he does. You can see it. Cause we're getting ready to sponsor him. Yeah. He, Me and you've been discussing oh, yeah. the sponsorship. Yeah. You can see it. You can see it. And he's good. Have you watched him ride live? No, you never have. No. When are you going to do that? I don't know. We got to find out when, uh, I'm always, weekends are busy. They're, they're at rodeos. Like they go all over. I mean, they'll eight hours across South Dakota to go to a rodeo. They'll go over here, rodeo. And I mean, if the, the Veblen one, I'll probably go to, that's coming up here. Veblen's close to the lodge, isn't it? Yeah. It's some three miles away. Is that where we ate breakfast? No, that was Lake city. That's Lake city. Yeah. So if you're another outfitter, don't go to those areas. <laughs> Right, Chris? Yes, sir. Stay out. <laughs> um, snow goose spread. Sun hasn't come up yet. You're, you're setting the spread up. You got your audio system out. It's connected to your Bluetooth. What music is Chris Green going to put on while he's setting the spread to get that blood going, to get that focus going, to get that drive and be like, oh, yeah. Is it, is it Thunderstruck ACDC or is it, is it Slipknot Heavy or is it George Strait? Who is it? Bad Obsession, Guns N' Roses. Really? You like that? No, huh? I don't believe you. Oh yeah. Nobody knows that song oh, beside me. I love that the harmonica. Song. Yeah. It's a bad obsession. It's yeah. always messing. Yeah, it's always messing with mine. Mm -hmm. God, Axl Rose. I love you. <laughs> um, you're that's the song you pick on oh, repeat. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's always bad obsession because that uh, is a lame ass I, obsession. I love Snuggies. Oh come on now. <laughs> no, it is. It's it's. There's the album. Well, I thought that was the album right there. No, it's up there. Yeah, right there. Yes, sir. Bad Obsession is on the orange one. Yeah, Use your illusion right one. There. Yeah, that's it. That's the cassette. No, I know. What do you think of this table? That's pretty pretty badass. Bitching, ain't it? Yeah, I got his 1993 Axl Rose played in Fargo. Guns N' Roses did. And my aunt worked at the, the Ramada, and they were staying there. She brought me in in Slash. I got to meet Slash, and I got his autograph, and then I got Axl's autograph. When Bulls, I was pucky. No way. To Chris. Rock and roll or GNR 93 rock and roll slash. You still have it? Yeah, laminated. Oh, dude, that's sick. I'm jealous as hell. Mm -hmm. 93, were they with Metallica? Because there was two tours going on yep. 92, 93. I don't think Metallica's there. Yeah, see, so Fargo was probably a little too small of a city, maybe a town back then, to host that big of a show. But 93, they were also on the Dustin Bones tour, which I saw yep. several stops out west here, and it was awesome. They had wow. a little, did they do the couch scene where they slowed everything down acoustically and brought the I, couches out and sat down? That was so many years ago. I you were probably remember. too young. 90, in 90, 14. Oh, see, I'm only three years older than you. I was 17 when we rocked it. Mm -hmm. Not showing our age or anything. We look really good for our age. We look fabulous. Well, fabulous. 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 <laughs> but I'm excited, buddy. And, you know, you, you, we could talk about 
we're, we're doing a podcast with, you know, a little bit of experience with each other. And I think there's a lot of passion to come in this. I think there's a lot of maturity in the friendship and the business relationship. Um, just everything that we're going to be able to do together. I appreciate it. And I think that, you know, we touched on a lot of things today that we could talk about in depth more, but later on, as we get to know each other, I want to really see if a lot of it rings true with, you know, the cooking, the safety, the Mm -hmm. responsibility, the personality, the senses of humor, the clientele, how we care about our family, our friends are, we're we're really going to see like, this isn't just a bunch of smoke show here, smoke screens. You know, this is a bunch of truth being told that this lifestyle means everything to us. And we're humbled to do it. We're humbled to get to do it every day. We're blessed and not entitled. Again, I, that's a theme of us at banded and in foul life is that we're not entitled to this. We're blessed to be able to do it and to get the opportunity to do this through hard work and perseverance and elbow grease and love and passion and to have somebody give this to us we're not going to take it lightly and you can entrust in us that we're going to kick some ass and my song when we're setting up a, a duck spread in the morning could be bad obsession it's probably going to be don't damn me which is on that same album which is amazing and i don't know if i'm ever going to get the 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 blood running through me like you have with the snow geese i like it don't get me wrong i like it it's like going to argentina two weeks ago that's not you know my cup of tea either but to be shooting that many ducks in july when it's 100 in chico california when we left there that's cool and we're stacking them up and the the lows were 30 32 and the highs were 46 to 49 fahrenheit (laughs) <laughs> and the meals and the camaraderie, the memories being down there with JP Fisher and George Thompson from Benelli, my buddy, Monty Baldwin and rock Merlo, my brother, Clay, everybody that was on that trip. Our camera guys, Tom was down there. Our producer, Tom and camera guy, Jared, our buddies. I hate calling them camera guys. Cause they're more than that to us. But we came back, we got to Atlanta back coming back from there. And we're like, did that really just happen? And people <laughs> experience that. I mean, it's I've, July. I've been to Argentina before and I've experienced, but when you're with the, the right group of people, you're just like, damn it. I don't want to leave. Mm-hmm. And my daughter, we were at the lake the other day in Almanor, and that's who just called me. My phone went off because I'm an idiot in my podcast and didn't put it on. Uh, I've done it like the last three. I'm an idiot. <laughs> and my buddy Brad Forsyth just called me, and he's going to hear this. He's going to be, oh, that's why you put me into voicemail. Truly it is. But he's at the lake right now at Almanor, sitting on his deck, cooking on a Traeger, cooking the macaroni and cheese because they asked me for the recipe the way we do it the way my buddy jim ray does it with anchovies i mean not anchovies but jalapenos and stuff and my daughter and i were up there last sunday and we left and she started bawling and i'm like did you fall down did you get hurt and she's like i don't want to leave I only, have, right. I only have one week of summer vacation left and i love this place and i'm like that's what prairie sky's got to be to people oh, yeah. i want to see a 45 to 60 year old man cry his freaking eyes out <laughs> when he's leaving there that's the experience that we have to make it because that's living that's america that's life that's passion that's love that's the bad obsession of hunting is that you love it so much it's a bad obsession to have because it eats you up you know there's a lot of freaking people out there that ducks have ruined their life they've ruined my life because i don't want to do anything else most of the time because (laughs) they consume me we merely exist in a duck's world chris not a snow goose's world i don't know not a snow goose's world buddy no you're going to start seeing things my way now, if boy. You, if you grew up in North Dakota, you'd have you'd see it through yeah, my Yeah, and I'd have skates on and missing one of my front <laughs> two teeth, too. I play hockey. Don't want to see me smile. Um, but she cried leaving the lake. Oh, and yeah. I'm like, damn it, man. This is this being at, at, at the, uh, this right place or a special place with the right group of people. And everybody up there, they call it Trailer Trashville. But up there in Plumas Pines at Lake Almanor, California is a special place. And when you leave there, you're like lump in your throat, trying to hold back. Even if it's just a little weekend excursion and you know, you're going to be back there five days later. 
Brad's like, I sit here until seven or eight, nine o'clock every Sunday night. And it takes everything in my power to leave, to leave. I I know I got to leave because I got to run my company in Chico tomorrow, but I don't want to leave Lake Almanor and Lake Almanor is a special place where we're going tomorrow. Lake Tahoe that you've never seen. It's going to blow your mind. You're not going to want to leave the beach there. We got the banquet with California waterfowl association tomorrow. I'm still weirded out that you're coming to it. You still don't really have a reasoning why you're here. For well, it. we are. We did donate a hunt. Oh, that's what it is. It came. You out just fun. said we. Yeah, that made me cheer. That made right. me tear up a little bit. <laughs> you, no, we. You we, just said we. Yeah, like Q, like we. like Q U I like or O U I or however they say in French like we we like yes yeah. or we you us, and I us who's us me and you really you and me you and I you and I you and I I and you. <laughs> well, I'm excited, man. That, yeah. that that banquet's tomorrow. We're gonna get to spend the day at the beach in Tahoe with some of our friends, um, and then we're gonna get to go and raise money for a great one of the greatest conservation organizations in America, the California Waterfowl Association. When you meet Rock Merlo, who just got back from Argentina with me, you're gonna be like, "Yep, cut from that cloth." Like we need him at Prairie Sky. We need to bring him in. We need him to bring a group. We need him to bring some wine. We need him to bring some olive oil. We need him to bring some an, some pasta Ooh, and some tomato. Oil? Oh, dude, this this Italian has the... Uh, wait until you taste this olive oil that I have in here from the Madigan family. Nuvo, N-U-V-O, that Rocky's family friends. That's right out of Orville, California. They grow all the olives right down there, and they produce olive oil and balsamic vinegar. And and they have a chocolate vinegar for or, or chocolate oil for ice cream topping. Um Rocky's just so tied in with he's does walnuts and almonds, which are almonds, but he calls them almonds up here. <laughs> and um, it, then olives and, and great pastas and wines. His family owns a winery. His cousin Harry owns an awesome winery in, in Dry Creek, California called Laga de Merlo. Anyway, I'm talking passionately about that now. You know why? Because he's a freaking duck hunter. Mm-hmm. And I fell in love with him, and now we're best friends. He called me his best friend at his 50th birthday party. I got the Friend of the Decade Award, only knew him for a year and a half. <laughs> <laughs> he called me down and like almost like that. I'm like, he's going to give me a plaque, I think. I was so weirded out because he had all of his <laughs> true best friends there and he called me out and I'm like, oh God. And I had to give a speech and all this and I'm like, yo, Rocco, and I'm proud to know you and I gave him a little fist pump and a hug. But anyway, I'm not rambling on. I'm just saying that all these relationships that we talk about and these guys we're going to be at the lake with tomorrow, the guys we're going to dinner tonight, we're going to Louie's Bass Corner. Unless you want sushi really bad, we're going to go eat some sweetbreads and cow tongue at Louie's Bass Corner. It's a staple in downtown Reno, Nevada, family-style Basque dining where you sit down with strangers, and they start bringing food, and by the end of the night, you're friends. It's kind of like a duck blind. Cool. And that's what I love about it. Great bar. They have a special drink that Jim Ray's been on here and talked about with Chad Ward. It's called the Pecan, Pecan Punch, and um, maybe just have a sip of one because I don't want you to be all loopy and stuff. (laughs) But... That's it, guys. The big news was the partnership between TFL, the Foul Life, and myself and our crew with Chris Green and Prairie Sky Lodge and Migration X Outfitters. So coming in the fall of 2018 for the 2018-2019 waterfowl season, the 2019 spring depredation snow season, snow goose season, turkey season next spring walleye season look at us check us out prairieskyranch.com migrationxoutfitters.com and come book a hunt come have the experience come hang there's going to be foul life hunts offered to where you can come film and see your little pretty face and your buddy's face on national tv on the outdoor channel so again 
We're humbled. We're blessed to have Chris come into our lives. JoLynn, thank you. Mindy, thank you. Tucker, stay on, boy. Eight-second ride. Chris Ledoux style, my man. Can't wait to see you live in a rodeo. New episode of The Foul Life this week on the Outdoor Channel. We're in Iowa for a great cause. We're joined by Kansas City Royals, police officers that went through some turmoil, wrestling coaches from Iowa State that were both NCAA champions, and Brett Metcalf and Derek St. John. We're also joined by Tyler Stark, VP of Marketing outdoors for Traeger. We're joined by Chad Ward, VP of Marketing for Barbecue Traeger and an unbelievable pitmaster. You've heard him on here on this podcast. He's won the Royal and the Grand eight times. Um, who else was on that trip? We had Scott Dahl from Anheuser-Busch and Dahl Distributing. We had the Edge Sports Bar. We had the Missouri Valley High School wrestling team that were also facing adversity and turmoil. Check out the episode this week, The Outdoor Channel. It's on tonight. It's on tomorrow. Let us know what you think about it. The reviews have been awesome for the first five episodes so far. Thank you so much for that. New merchandise available at thefowllife.com. Check us out on our new YouTube channel, This Life Ain't For Everybody. And we got more great guests. Chris, do you have any closing words for myself or anybody out there listening to this life ain't for everybody podcast right now if you want to get away feel free great hunting prairie sky prairie sky ranch.com prairie sky ranch.com it's a ranch y'all so when you get there be ready to mend some fences and milk a cow tom start playing that song you have know this song chris that plays us in and out every podcast you've met leith lofton what you're going to do when the money's all gone if you have some left spend it with us at prairie sky lodge i can't guys you got to come see this girls you got to come see this but anyway i'm chad building thank you guys so much for all the support with all of our brands um, new banded product dropping right now at your local dealers i can't wait for you guys to see the new designs the new decoys from greenhead gear i can go on and on my passion i'm fired up we're going to louis check us out tom play that song thank you guys very much Thank you. Say life on earth won't last that long. What you gonna do when the money's all gone?